Hey, brother. Hey, brother. Welcome to Season 6, Episode 1 of Match Wits. I'm your host, Steve, alongside my brother, Chris. What's going on, dude? What's happening? Hey, if you're new to this podcast, Match Wits is a nostalgia-infused pop culture podcast where we go toe-to-toe on any of a number of topics. In this particular episode, uh, we're going to cover Sniglets, and we're going to cover <laughs> our top our top horror movies. Um uh, again, follow us on Twitter at MatchWits or go to our website, MatchWits.com. Both cases, it's two T's because our last name is Wit, W-I-T-T. So that's MatchWitsTTS.com. All right. So to get started, uh, wanted to talk about Sniglets. Um, Chris and I had, uh, I believe we had the book. We Sniglets did. growing up. And Sniglets was a something that came out of... Um, Oh, what was the show? It not was not necessarily uh, the news. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not necessarily the news. And Rich Hall did words that should exist but don't. So, some examples. My my favorite. Not Chris. I don't know if you remember these, but my favorite was musquirt, which is the water that comes out of the initial squirt of a squeeze of a mustard bottle. So that, again, <laughs> a word a word that should exist but uh, but doesn't. Disgusting. And there's a couple there's a couple what others a disgusting that disgusting word. <laughs> Exactly. So there was a couple others. I showed it to the uh, the kids yesterday. We watched some of the old and NT, not necessarily the news uh, shows on YouTube, um, particularly the Sniglets. Uh, another one I found was P-Spot, which is the area directly above the urinal in a public restroom that men stare at, knowing a glance in any other direction would be would arouse suspicion. <laughs> See, I don't remember any of these, but I remember we had the we had the calendar. It was every day there was a different Sniglet that popped up. And when we used to share a room when we were kids, back before you went to college and stuff like that, yeah, we used to have a calendar that we used to have up on our, our dresser. Exactly, exactly. So, Which I'm, which I'm pretty sure is the reason that I, I still watch The Daily Show. You know what I mean? Like that, it was news, but it was a it was satire of the news, but it still was informative at the same time of being educational. Exactly, exactly. Uh, and I'll, I'll get into a second why I was thinking of Sniglets, because there's a word that I needed that doesn't exist. So I'm going to go through a couple others because I thought they were funny. Um, uh, <laughs> Rignition is the embarrassing action of trying to start one's car when it's already started. <laughs> <laughs> when it gives you that horrible noise. That <laughs> exactly. Uh, I'll see if you can guess this one. It's Slurm. Slurm. Is it the top of yogurt? That nasty film that you get before you stir up yogurt? No, but there is one of those. But slurm <laughs> is the slime that accumulates on the underside of a bar of soap when it sits <laughs> in the dish too long. Ugh. And uh, the last one I grabbed, and I just grabbed a couple of these. You can find them online. There's tons of cool ones that people invented their own. Uh, is the Doppler effect? Is the tendency of a stupid idea to seem smarter when they come at you quickly? <laughs> they call it the Doppler effect. So anyways, so the reason why I was thinking about Sniglets was I've been watching and I've, I've been doing this for a while. I mean, I've, you know, when, and, and because binge watching is such a thing in, in society today where uh, most binge watching happens on Netflix and Netflix has this propensity to go from one episode to the next. Um, when you fall asleep, as I do, watching shows and it goes to the next and then you wake up and you forget where you left off because Netflix has gone three or four episodes past yep. where you fell asleep. So I don't believe there's a word for it. I was like, we really need a word for that, particularly when you need to go back and pick up where you left off and exactly. you've got to watch and fast forward through. So here, here's what I propose as the, maybe the three options or the two options for this is one would be uh, bingenesia. Which okay. is, you know, the the kind of the amnesia you get from falling asleep in the middle of a show on on Netflix, or the other option would be uh, binge timers. Again, like losing timers? track of, <laughs> but binge timers, right? The, the losing track of where you were, uh, and then the the actual when you start watching it again from where you thought you left off and you've actually seen it, uh, that's binge vu. Binge vu. I like, like binge vu the best out of the three of those. <laughs> well, thank God, at least Netflix put in the. Uh... 
the the function that it only does a few episodes and then it asks you because i remember back when it was first started streaming i fell asleep and it went through the entire season like eight episodes and went through the very end and i was like i don't remember watching eight episodes of that so i had to go back through all of them to see where i fell asleep which is never fun right yeah i think they stop it at like two or three so you can know if you go back two or three so i've been watching that series uh the travelers and and i'm stuck in season two because i keep falling asleep and i keep going I, i think i've started the same episode three times and I've been up falling asleep so well, that's I heard season I haven't watched any of it uh, my wife Erin actually watches it on a regular basis but gave up in season two because she said it just lost focus and got but then I heard season three was really good but I have such a list of things to watch that that's pretty far down on the priority list yep so and, and as as do I right so uh that segue segues us into uh the conversation I wanted to have about uh, horror movies and really you know w- and, and I don't watch as many movies probably as you do and no. haven't um <laughs> Steve very very few people watch as many movies as I do it's <laughs> <laughs> a good point so what we were so last weekend or maybe the weekend before because the internet was a rage with bird box um, so speaking of Netflix, we got on and watched the uh, watch Bird Box and thought it was a really good movie. Um, and it brought up the and we were having a conversation after we watched it about the idea of the, what one of the things that made that movie so creepy or scary, right? Like you have this visceral kind of fear factor going on through that whole movie, this anxiety. Um, is it plays off a couple of things, right? It plays off that you can't actually see the thing that's scary, right? And sure. this one in particular plays up because they're wearing blindfolds because if you do see it, then you're dead. Right. Um, which I thought was a really cool take on what we've seen in, in, in other movies over the years. And for me personally, those movies are the scariest. Like sure. when you can't see who the the bad guy is and who, and I go back to some movies that, you know, and you and I texted about this a little bit. Like there's movies where you don't actually see, you know, Freddie or Jason or Michael Myers or you don't see the bad guy because sometimes I, they, movies have a hard time of capturing that sure. fear but they the people have gotten really good at you know building up suspense and things when you can't see it because then your imagination starts to take over well sure um, it runs into the same when you're reading a, a horror novel instead of having it shown to you visually it just gives you information and you're able to formulate your own opinion about what it looks like like my vision of pennywise the first time i read it was different than tim curry's portrayal in the 90 series or alexander Starsgard's portrayal in the newest one but they still worked on a on a visceral level it may, may not looked exactly the same but they represented what it was supposed to be and the funny thing is about bird box too is they shot a sequence where Sandra Bullock saw the monsters and it was ridiculous. Like you can go and find it on the internet that they actually did like the uh, makeup tests and stuff like that. And because her fear was motherhood, the monsters were giant overgrown babies. Now, if you would have saw that in the middle of the, in the middle of the, the movie itself, it would have been distracting and it would have brought you out of the experience instead of you making up what the monsters look like to you, because that's the concept of the monsters. It takes, the form of whatever scares you most. Mine would probably be clowns. It would probably be Pennywise him, himself, but it didn't work. And by when I was at the end of the movie, I was kind of disappointed that they never showed it, but then I thought about it more, and I was like, it makes more sense because it allows the viewer to formulate their own opinion about it. So that's what I liked about it. I didn't exactly, think it was... ex- exactly. It's that it's that what you don't see because then you and, and again, it's what's in your mind, which is kind of the cool thing about Bird Box, right? I think the right. idea is what you fear is what you'll see exactly but that's what one of the things that i i took umbrage with the whole the whole uh groundswell of support for it it's it's a good movie but it was people either thought it was the greatest movie ever made or the worst thing ever made and i don't like the the it's either one end or the other you know what i mean like i i enjoyed the fact it was it was very well done the cinematography was well done malkovich was great in it but malkovich is great in any movie that he's in and sandra bullock was really good and but it wasn't great. I had some problems with it, and I don't. I'm allowed to just like things without loving them or hating them. That's what I don't understand the the reaction that you get, especially on social media. It's so knee jerk and reactionary that everybody either wants to love it or bash it. Where I don't want to do that. I know how hard movies are to make, so I appreciate them for what they are. 
So agreed. And and I, I would say I I didn't love it, but I, I there was uh, again there was a lot of it I liked. I didn't I think uh, the ending to me was a little. I don't want to say anticlimactic, but... But I read an article with the director, and she goes, can you imagine if we ended on a down ending? Because there was initial talks that that's what it was supposed to be. Like, they weren't going to make it, or she wasn't going to make it, and the kids were, and blah, 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 blah. But can you imagine watching that for two hours, and then an ending like that? That would have... You would have never wanted to watch that movie ever again. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, exactly. So... So, so then going from that, then made me think about for me personally, and we'll go we'll go through your list because again, you've got a far more exhaustive list than <laughs> than, than I do. We'll call this the uh, the 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 wit top six. But um, for me, when I go through my list, and again, I've seen far less movies, horror movies, than you have. Um, you know, uh, a lot of them involve like this, the, the, the unknown, right? The fear of the unknown. And, and, and again, to me, that's, that's horrifying, but let's go through your list. Um, okay. talk through, um, again, I know you're going to have a ton in there that I probably haven't seen. So, uh, well, this will probably be some, some homework for me, but, okay. uh, most uh, the, of these, most of these that I'm going to bring up, you've probably never even heard of, or well, if you have that, you haven't watched them yet, but I'm not trying to be elitist, but there's just a lot of stuff out there that people don't see. And so I don't want to give, you know, like everyone can tell you, go watch 28 Days Later or The Shining or the original Poltergeist, where I'm just trying to find stuff to introduce people to movies that maybe they haven't seen or slipped through the cracks that I really, really liked. And the first one that I want to bring up is a movie called The Endless. Have you ever heard about this, Steve? It's recently just been added to Netflix. It's by these guys named, uh, I think his name's Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead are the two directors. And they got their start with a movie called Spring a few years ago about a guy that goes to Rome and falls in love with this girl that may or may not be an elder god. She might be a creature from the existence or the beginning of Hmm. the universe that kind of just comes to Earth. But the Endless is set up that these two guys were, they, they lived in a UFO cult when they were younger in their teenage and formulate or formulative years and then they end up leaving and then like 10 years after they left they decide to go back and the whole movie's about what they find after they return and if i give you any more information than that i will spoil what i feel was one of the better independent films that i've seen in a long time what they were able to do on the budget that they had was astounding and brought up a lot of really really good ideas of of the the unseen and what what their effect can be on us and it's it's really really well done so so I, we'll be, oh, sorry to sort of cut you off so i think that's important thing if we get into this we'll try not to do any spoilers sure <laughs> right that's well that's what uh, i mean some of these need to be digested or approached with clear eyes you know what i mean i don't want to give any information that when you walk in you're like i already know where this is going the the movies that i'm going to give you are going to be ones that you're in for a ride and you got to buy in to a certain extent and especially some of the special effects aren't going to be the greatest but as long as you can suspend disbelief you can actually really really enjoy these movies on a lot of levels so that's my first yep and and so and how would you tag the endless i mean was it uh is it sci-fi is it horror is it or is it just scary it's anything that i give you is going to spoil it you know what i mean like okay fair enough it's scary it involves see like anything like if i even give you what the basis of it is it it spoils the reveal in the story itself so like it's it's there's horrific elements in it there's science fiction elements to it there's personal elements to it you know what i mean there's a lot Mm -hmm. of stuff that happens in the film itself that but it's it's one of those movies that as soon as you're done watching it you want to go back and rewatch to see what kind of easter eggs they place through the whole thing did they give you hints beforehand and and things like that and that's i love movies that require multiple viewings or or benefit from multiple viewings got it okay would you but you would you classify that as if we were going to put categories on it, seen or unseen, i.e., what scares you? Is it something? Is it? It's or is unseen. That no, it's okay. unseen. Like that's right. when when you started talking about Bird Box, and that was really the only one that I could really think of that had an unseen force. Like you never really see what the the main antagonist is. Like the, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it, it allows you to think about how you would react in that situation, and it's it's really well done. 
and I'm really curious. These guys have been working together for a few years now, and they have a few more in the pipeline, and I'm I'm curious to see what they have next. So, cool. All right, what you got next? All right, so well, the question is: is a lot of these are are they considered horror? Is Get Out horror, Steve? My question to you is: is Get Out considered horror? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so that's the question. I, so I, there's a lot of these on my list that. I wouldn't consider Get Out to be straight up horror because there's comedic elements to it. There's, you know, there's social elements to it. There's there's metaphors. There's all sorts of levels to it. And yes, there are horrific things that happen in it. But I don't know if I would classify it a straight up horror movie because it's it's more of a psychological thriller. It it, it it's the is Silence of the Lambs a horror movie? It's that argument is right right. Is it or is it a police procedural thriller? Right. So I mean, if we want to go strictly, like I no 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 argument whatsoever of whether it's a it's a horror movie. The best one that I've seen in probably the past five years is a movie called Hereditary, with Tony Collette and Gabriel Byrne. About it's about a family that the grandmother dies, and it's the family dealing with the grandma the grandmother's death and the the changing of the the matriarchy and the family and the things that happen and again it's one of those ones that i can't give anything away because as soon as i do then it ruins the big reveal or the 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 crux of the ending but i mean all practical effects like all the stuff that they did was all done is is close to practical with cgi just kind of as as an added flair at the end and it's the most unsettling, terrifying movie that I've seen in a long time. And movies don't really scare me that way, but this one did. <laughs> I mean, it also right. has the fact that Tony Collette sleepwalks in it. It's part of her character. She has some problems with her sleepwalking, and as you may know, but the the listeners don't, my wife sleepwalks on a, on a regular basis, and the first few times it scared the hell out of me. And it happened to be when I was rewatching hereditary the other night it corresponded with exactly the moment that tony collette's character in the movie sleptwalk and aaron was sleepwalking at the same time which oh god 11 30 a night on a friday yeah. night scaring the crap out of myself yeah so. that, that that'll be freaky hey and i do want to go back to get out um because okay. i watched it yesterday um but we'll keep going through your list because I do want to talk about it because I, there, there's something that I, I really like that movie. There's some things in there, but it didn't make my list, and I don't know if it was on your list. So, but I do want to talk about it because I thought it was a really good movie. Well, yeah, especially it's because that, given Jordan Peele's background of you know more skit comedy coming from Mad TV and then Key and Peele, which Key and Peele. Key and Peele to this day is still one of my favorite shows to go back and rewatch. I put it up there with the Chappelle show as some of the smartest comedy writing that, that Comedy Central's ever produced. I don't know mm-hmm. if you've watched a lot of that, Steve, but if you get a chance, uh, find it on YouTube when they do the, I think it's the Northwest or the North South Shrine game. They do like mm-hmm. a, a all-star game for college football players and they just make up the most ridiculous names that they could possibly find. And it's hysterical and you will laugh hysterically through the entire thing so but when you see that movie you're you know you're expecting to have some comedy in it which it does i mean the the supporting character of uh, his friend that works at the tsa is brilliant and is a brilliant character and allows the audience surrogate to be doubtful of the situation you know what i mean like you need that person that speaks for the audience like you shouldn't do that don't go in that door don't open <laughs> right and where where the del rey that plays the the friend does it is so masterful at that but then it has a lot of truly terrifying moments the idea of hypnosis has always scared the crap out of me i refuse to be put under hypnosis under any circumstances mm-hmm. just i don't necessarily believe that it works but if it does i'm not being subjected to that <laughs> ever right well and and there was a couple things like so it, the way they build up suspense in that movie right like the way like you're in this and you're like something is off like the further you get into it, something's off, and you can't put your finger on it, right? Like, right. Like the way, and again, without giving too much away of the movie, it seems like everybody's seen that movie though, and everybody loved it. Um, it there's something off, and I like I'm watching it. I watched it yesterday, and you know, you're like an hour into the movie, and you still don't know what's going on, like at, at all. Yeah, like, and but it's but you know something's wrong, and that builds like I haven't seen a movie like that that builds up this. 
like usually it's like all right 15 minutes to set up and then you're scared right, right. or like like you know bird boxes like it, you know normal day all of a sudden terrifying and yeah. then the rest of the movie's terrifying and it's hits the ground running yeah this was this was something different and then like to your point the whole hypnosis thing like and the, i don't know if it if the it caught you the same way as it caught me, but Catherine Keener, having been in John Malkovich and this movie, like, and there was some similarities there between kind of the, you know, where the way the mind's eye and everything was working. It was sure. a little, little, little bizarre, but I was like, that's actually really cool too. But because you're like, think about it too. That's masterful casting because Catherine Keener and Bradley Whitford have always, outside of Bradley Whitford playing Eric in Billy Madison, has always played positive characters with with an edge like his west wing character was kind of a jerk and stuff like that but it was right. always he was never oh, see we're getting in a spoiler territory you know what I mean? like, <laughs> right right but that's they are so innocuous and they can play the play the caring role and make you and disarm you enough with their charm that you know something's wrong like you're like wait this is too nice these these people are too caring the, the it makes me laugh every time i think of the i would i would have voted for Bar- or obama for a third term if i could and like is that us is that me when i talk to my friends like i would have said the same thing but <laughs> right but the way he does it and the the setup and the slow draw and all of the creepiness factor into it shows a a skill level that you rarely see in someone on their feature you know what i mean like that's his feature film debut and he won an academy award for an original screenplay and was not i think he was nominated for best director and you watch that movie and they're like this guy comes from a comedy background and it's his his first foray in the feature films is terrifying and i don't know if you've seen the trailer for his newest one called us like that looks terrifying. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it looks terrifying. It looks so good, and it you don't know anything really about the film other than it has to do with some kind of evil doppelgangers and some weird imagery and the pair of scissors and like I just it, I I I am super excited to see what he does next. Especially he's involved with the the reboot of Twilight Zone. Like just that mention of him executive producing that made me really excited because I'm a Twilight Zone aficionado like I still watch it on Netflix to a certain extent and, but I'm really curious to see what Jordan Peele does here on out yeah and I think a topic for another episode will be um, comedy writers and comedy and comedians crossing over to serious because sure. I think there's a whole there, there's something in there for sure in the way uh, the brain works and the way the talent works that you know you see people that make that jump and it, it, it's a hard jump to make um, it's, when you it's make, a lot making people laugh to making people take you seriously but it's there's easy. been a number of people that have done it really well yeah but think of it going the other way there's a lot of times like comedians going to do drama is almost easier for me to take than dramatic actors trying to be funny and failing miserably like you look at Daniel Craig Daniel Craig's a very intense actor and then if you ever saw him when he was on Saturday Night Live he's a disaster like it just doesn't work where you get Steve Carell or any of these people that go from comedies to doing dramas they understand because comedy is a certain amount about human pain and and suffering and stuff and that's where the best comedy lies so you get these top tier comedians that are truly funny that i think moving into human emotion as as empathy and is a little bit easier than going the other way that's always been my my opinion on that yeah and again i think i think there's a whole episode in there right when you start putting oh, yeah. jim, jim carrey and steve carell and robin mm-hmm. williams and you start putting looking at and and the impact that some of those characters have had on the screen are, are pretty amazing but sure. this is all about horror let's go into <laughs> your so would get out be on your list uh, or would it not be on your list well see that's what i'm looking at my list right now and i probably have 25 to 30 so like i don't really know it depends if we're considering that horror. If we're doing strictly horror, then probably not. But if you're just talking about psychological thrillers that have horrific elements to it, but I would put that on there. But if you start putting Get Out on there, there's a movie that came out a few years ago called Green Room. I don't know if you're familiar with this, with Patrick Stewart. I, yeah, I've heard, I've, I've heard a ton about it and haven't seen it. Okay, so the whole setup is is that the Emil Hirsch, or not Emil Hirsch, but... Uh, the kid that played Chekhov in the Star Wars, Anton Yekin, the kid that got killed in the car accident not too long ago, plays, this band goes to play 
they're on this like crappy tour. They're playing like dive bars and stuff like that. And they get a gig to go play this one and they don't know anything about it. And they show up and it's like a neo-Nazi like a uh, stronghold. It's like a bar out in the middle of nowhere where like neo-Nazis congregate and stuff like that. And something happens after their show and they basically have to survive and fight their way out. And it's, there's nothing really horrific. There's nothing supernatural. There's no ghosts. There's no time travel. There's no unseen monsters, but it's about what human beings will do to each other when the chips are down. So the question is, Steve, is would that be considered a horror movie? The the actions in it are horrific. There are horrific death scenes in it. There's horrific violence in it. It's tense. It makes you hold your breath at times. And it's one of the better movies that I've ever seen. I mean, it's got Patrick Stewart as the head of the neo-Nazi group. Like, straight up, <laughs> white nationalist, hates everybody. And right. it's Patrick Stewart, and he's masterful in it. But the question is, is that a horror movie? I don't know. I haven't seen it. If it's scary, I would say yes. Then yes. Then yeah. I, I would put Green Room... I would actually put Green Room in front of Get Out because I've watched Green Room more because it... Even if you know the outcome, you're still vested in what these characters are like. They do a good to- they do a good job of setting up this this band and the the interpersonal relationships and the the family dynamic between all these characters and stuff like that. So when the shit hits the fan, you care about it like a lot. You're rooting for these kids to 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 fight as hard as they can and against insurmountable odds, which makes it that's horrific to me. Like it it's scary. There's a right. lot of stuff in it that's truly terrifying. But in the traditional horror movie sense, I wouldn't consider it a horror movie. You know what I mean? Like, I don't right. consider Get Out a horror movie. I consider that more a psychological thriller, like um, like Silence of the Lambs or Green Room. Or there's a movie called Enemy with Jake Gyllenhaal that's not really a horror movie, but there's some horrific stuff in it. So that's the problem that I'm running into when I do these lists that there's so many ones that cross or that check separate boxes, you know, horror and comedy and satire of the horror genre and things like that. Like cabin in the woods. Did you ever see that with Chris Hemsworth? And no, but I was going to, cause that looks like it was pretty good. Like I've it, heard, I've heard good things about it, but, but it seems like that crosses over too. a lot. Like it crosses a lot of different and it, it makes fun of horror movies to a certain extent. You know what I mean? Like it's almost a satire on, the horror movie cliches. It takes each one of those, the cabin in the woods, the the weird stuff in the basement and all that stuff and does it in a way that's funny and different, but it's there's horrible, horrible things that happen in it. So the question about whether it's a horror movie is a valid one. So Agreed. I don't know. <laughs> right, right. So well, I guess I have get, whole... what, what, When we get into my list, mine are going to be pretty stereotypical horror movies because a lot of them I watched when I was younger and they terrified me. Some of them I watched, you know, 15, 20 years ago, they terrified me. So, well, Steve, but that's what we have to, like, I think I, we need to tell people about that. Like, you're seven years older than me, so you introduced me to things at an age that I had no business being introduced to them and not understanding what they were. Like, I remember you showing me Evil Dead 2 was the first rated R movie that I remember seeing clearly, and I hated it because I thought it was supposed to be a serious horror movie where it has some things that are really horrific in it, but Bruce Campbell's fight against his own hand is one of the best slapstick three stooges sequence that i've seen in any movie that i've ever seen and is that considered you know what i mean like is evil dead horror or is evil dead horror comedy i mean Uh, it's on my list and (laughs) but there's there's funny so you bring up that scene so the scene with the hand possessed steve carell in um is it Bruce, Bruce Almighty, Almighty as the Anchorman, and um, um, oh God, who who played the Pink Panther? Um, <laughs> Peter Sellers. Peter Sellers doing the parallel bars 
are three scenes that I can watch anytime in any mood, and I will I will laugh till I cry. Oh, the the Steve Carell in, in Bruce Almighty still to this day. If I'm like I'm in a really bad mood and I need something that I know is going to bring me out of it, I will watch the outtakes of them doing it. Because if you watch Catherine Bell, the anchor, they're the the woman, the actress that's sitting next to him, the first time he yells, she physically jumps. You see her actually <laughs> jump because she was so. He was just supposed to improv. He was just supposed to make noise and stuff like that, and and she starts laughing uncontrollably through it. So I agree with that. So again, agreed. But we're gonna and Evil Dead is on my list because uh, it was scary but funny, and it was again, and it was again at a turning point. Like I, I watched it at the right age. You might have watched it a little too soon. A little too um, soon. A little bit. Yeah. So let's let's go through a couple more of yours, and then we'll jump into mine. Well, see then. So we start getting in like the more traditional ones. Like Seven is probably one of my favorite movies of all time. Like the the Brad or Brad Pitt. Morgan oh, yeah. Freeman movie, mm-hmm. but is that horror? It has to do with a serial killer, and but that's again, that's an FBI case. There's nothing supernatural about any of it. It has to do with you know the lengths that human beings will go to to make a point and 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 things like that, and the things that we can look past on a daily basis. But I don't know if that's horror. So then you move down the list. You got Twenty Eight Days Later, which is which is probably my favorite. I don't even want to refer to it as a zombie movie because it's not a fucking zombie movie because they're not technically... <laughs> they're not dead. Steve, zombies are the, the living dead, the raised corpses of of humans where they're not. The 28 days later, they're rage-infected people. They're still alive. That's why they can, they can starve to death, which they do and things like that. But mm-hmm. I always bring it up just solely for the fact that I can tell a story about... Did I ever tell you about when we tricked Jen, our sister Jen, to go see it? No. So... I was think I was I was home for like maybe a Christmas break or something like that and it was out and so Jen wanted to go see a movie and she was like all right and I was like we're gonna go see this movie 28 days later and she goes oh is that the Sandra Bullock one I said yeah (laughs) (laughs) knowing Jen think it was knowing Jen full well would never go see a terrifying you know rage movie (laughs) so I don't know if you really remember that movie it starts off with the the uh, the animal rights activists breaking into the lab where they're doing experiments on monkeys and one of the monkeys gets out of the cage and rips the one woman's throat out and then that woman's infected and it, it literally starts and doesn't stop and then that scene's over and the next thing you see is uh, Killian Murphy's naked dong where he's laying in the hospital and she just is bright as, as you know white as a ghost and she turns and looks at me and she goes what the hell is this and she just sat and watched it behind her fingers throughout the entire thing so I love that story that's hilarious. But then, so, like, I have It on here. I have Jacob's Ladder. I have In the Mouth of Madness. Like, all of these ones that, they're not the greatest of horror movies, but they're my favorites. Like, In the Mouth of Madness, to me, is the best Lovecraftian movie ever made, and it's not even an explicit Lovecraft movie. Do you know what I mean? Like, you introduced mm-hmm. me to John Carpenter at such an early age that I went through and watched that entire catalog. Like, I remember watching They Live the first time and not understanding the satire or the parody or the the, the metaphors that he was using about consumerism and capitalism and all that stuff. And the first time I saw In the Mouth of Madness, I didn't really... I liked it. There were some freaky things in it, but then once I got older and I started reading a lot more about Lovecraft and and the and the anything that falls into the Elder Gods or the the Old Gods mythos, it, when I went back and rewatched it again, one Sam Neill is an app, one of my favorite actors of all time, Dr. Grant from Jurassic Park. But that movie to me is as close to an adaptation of a Lovecraft book without being one, which. I still hold in high regard. But then there's some weird ones on here, Steve. Like, I don't know when the last time you watched a Korean a Korean zombie movie, but there's one called Train to Busan, which is probably the best zombie movie, and that's traditional zombie. Well, not traditional because they're fast, but one of the tensest, scariest movies that I've seen in quite a long time. But again, that falls into a category like you're not always going to be in the mood to read subtitles in a in a zombie movie. <laughs> right, right. So you know what I mean? So, like, Aaron refuses to watch anything that she has to read, so that limits who I can show those movies to. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. But getting back to what you were talking about, movies that terrified me when I was a kid, it, The Gate. 
the old Steven Dorff when he was like maybe 12 or 13 where they do the they play the record backwards and it opens the gate to hell in the mm-hmm. backyard like that movie the scene where he steps off his bed and the hand comes out from underneath the bed and grabs his foot scared me so much that I used to jump from my bed to the door to get out to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night because I was convinced that there was a hand underneath yeah. my bed and that's what I'm talking about. Like those, there are certain, so that's what a lot of my list is, is like when I want, like had a profound effect, like it scared you to a point where it maybe adjusted your behavior in the real world for a period sure. of time. Right? Sure. Um, Nightmare on Elm Street so that, did that. Nightmare on Elm Street, the first time I saw it, I refused to sleep for like a week. But again, that's one of those movies that I probably saw when I was 11 or 12. I remember watching it up at the Damari's house up the street and they would be able to watch whatever they want. And I watched (laughs) it up there and mom couldn't figure out why I was terrified, why I wouldn't want to sleep in bed. That's when I used to sleep at the, remember at our old house on Wayne Street, Mm -hmm. I used to sleep at the top of the stairs so I could hear people's (laughs) voice. Steve, you were the one of the reasons I used to sleep at the top of the stairs because those goddamn masks that you had, they used to prop up next to my bed and scare the crap (laughs) out of me or Anytime like a uh, thriller came on, I remember thriller used to scare me because of the zombies at the end, but you guys were older than me and it didn't scare you. So you thought it was funny to terrify young Christopher. Yes. That was a big part of, you know, I think a big part of my childhood and, and yours was me scaring you with, you know, my, my masks and my love for, for horror or, you know, scaring or getting reaction out of people, whether it be a laughter or uh or, ter- or terrifying somebody. So, uh, which I think is a good. Do you have anything else? Because I was going to transition into my list. No, um, good. So, Nightmare on Elm Street. I'm going to go kind of from the bottom up because I did mine in more traditional top six list fashion. Sure. Um, uh, and, and again, order can fluctuate here. I'm not sold sold on the order, but Nightmare on Elm Street to me, the first couple, like all the way up to Dream Warriors, right, which was the, I think the third one. Yep. Um, was at a time of my life where I was just able to watch horror movies, and that was in the '80s. So that was Friday the Thirteenth, Halloween, and Nightmare on Elm Street were like the three. And and because Nightmare on Elm Street crossed into the mind, mm-hmm. like it crossed that boundary, just like like we're talking about with get out, like you're now into your dreams and things you can't control. So even though you could see Freddy and he was terrifying and there were things and techniques that they used with the, the, the gloves and the, like the story and all that. But the fact that he could invade your head and you couldn't mm-hmm. control it was terrifying. So, yeah. um, uh, I love that, and the fact that Dawkins had the theme song was even, you know, was even you, even better for a kid in the '80s that had a mullet. Interesting so. trivia question about Dream Warriors Three. Do you know who wrote that? Wrote the I screenplay? Don't. Frank Darabont, the guy. Who oh, wrote, really? Wrote and directed. It was one of his first Hollywood writing credits. Was writing Dream Warriors Three or uh, Nightmare on Elm Street Three, the Dream Warriors. If you go back and you look, like he was the one that first started like peppering in the. Uh, the Freddy one-liners, like "Welcome to Prime Time" when he hits the slams a girl's head into the the TV and stuff like that. That's all you can tell. That's Frank Darabont, and he still right. to this day says it's one of the favorite, one of his favorite movies that he wrote. But the first one, still to this day, will will scare me to a certain extent. The when Johnny Depp gets pulled into the bed is is terrifying. Like the the blood squirting out is that's oh that's where it sprays the room. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I agreed. It was gory. It was it had suspense. It was again. It was ter- to 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 a teenager or you know like a, a tweener that was it was terrifying. Um, from there, from Nightmare on Elm Street, I go into to Evil Dead Two. Um, just and we already talked about that. I, good movie uh scary like this out in the woods trapped type of thing um again is it is it a true it kind of broke down like it was a nice relief from like a nightmare on elm street where you had this kind of this comedy serious type of thing back and forth but i i love i love the series but the the two is my favorite it got away from the the slasher element too you know what i mean like once halloween hit and all those ones and then it just became a glut of slasher movies with black christmas and silent night deadly night and all those all those kind of one-offs that are somewhat unmemorable when then you get the evil dead too and i don't care whether you like that movie or hated that movie it's memorable you remember the 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 sequence when all the the inanimate objects come alive and start like singing to him and stuff like that like that to this day the the white-eyed deer head on the wall singing to him and laughing still freaks me out so i think it's partially responsible for my fear of anthropomorphic things like when you start making things alive creeps me out like books and and chairs and stuff has always creeped me out so i blame that 
agreed agreed um so and then from that i go to to jaws right and and to into the point where you were with the gate i was with jaws right when i saw when i saw jaws and like it and it toes the line right you can see the shark but you don't know where it is right and you and and it being on the water there is there's that thin veil between you know i'm alive in this boat versus if i'm in the water like i don't know what's going to happen and i can't see this thing sure. right but and, Steve, even think ahead. about that to a certain extent like the only reason it was even effective is because the shark didn't work you know what i mean like when when spielberg was going through and and storyboarding the entire movie and stuff like that there was way more way more shots of the shark and then when they got to i think they shot it off nantucket i think they shot it in puget sound when they put the giant shark animatronic shark into the water the first time it filled up with water and sank to the bottom of the sound and then so they had to get another one out and that one every time it got wet would do like that awkward like shaking motion where it looked like it had parkinson's and stuff like that so spielberg right. freaked out and was like oh my god how am i gonna do this and so he's just like, okay. He was like, let's just shoot it from the shark's perspective for a couple of the sequences. And they were just like, it was like a light bulb went off. And that's what builds that suspense. That opening scene where it attacks the girl, skinny dipping and stuff like that. Think about it, Steve. You only see the fin. Like, that's it. Like, all yeah, you, all you see is her. And you see the undershot of her, her leg swimming, which gives you that feeling. You know what I mean? Like, that yeah. claustrophobic. And you hear that John Williams score slowly kick in. That is so terrifying, but the only reason it works is because you don't see the shark, so you're able to to fill in how big this monster is and how how big the teeth are, what it's actually doing to the girl, rather than them showing this pale blue, you know, shaking puppet. <laughs> exactly, and and then for for two for two kids who grew up on essentially on Lake Erie, right. they would go to the beach like ah like freak me out like I, I had to what, have what, people what, what what touched my leg and we both knew at the time because we were we were young I mean that what one did uh, Jaws come out late seventies seventy seven seventy seven seventy eight yeah but so we're, you know we're we're not even you know for me I'm like barely eleven or whatever when I'm watching that movie yep. and. Like go to the beach. We know there's no sharks in Lake but the, Erie, but, but right in Lake Erie. But the idea that there's something underneath the surface of the water that could drag you under just freaked me out after I watched yeah. that movie. So to me, Absolutely. good horror movie. And and for that, me the 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 way they used the uh, the soundtrack or the kind of the build to build that suspense was it would kind of change. I think to me changed the way that you're able to use the, the soundtrack and the score sure. to to make something again you can't see it you have to you have to feel it and it is such a good job with that yeah and well it helps that you have probably the most iconic the composer in film history giving you you know what i mean like it's, just, <laughs> right. it's john williams like is yeah. star wars as good without john williams score no. is jurassic park as good without that no. swelling orchestral orchestral thing that he does right. like is it as good without him no it's one of those things that it's spielberg's direction uh peter blanchley i think it's peter blanchley that wrote it his his book slash script unbelievable cast and and crew like you know what i mean like it's Robert, like Quint, uh, Robert Shaw's speech about the USS Indianapolis still to this day is in my top 10 movie speeches of all time. And then if you ever watch the behind the scenes, Robert Shaw was so blackout drunk during that scene, he doesn't remember filming it at all. <laughs> Steve, I'm not kidding you. There's there's two documentaries out. There's one that's called, I think it's called The, the, the Shark is Still Not Working which is all about the making of Jaws. And then there's another one, I think it might be the Spielberg documentary. And like, he talks about how drunk he was through the entire, the entire movie, the right? entire thing. And like, he woke up the next day after they shot the, that USS Indianapolis speech about him going and him, his ship going down and being attacked by sharks. He didn't remember. He went up to Spielberg and goes, Hey, how'd I do? And he was like, it was great. He was wide. He goes, cause I don't remember that at all. And like, that just goes to nobody else could play that the way Robert Shaw did. And the Roy Schneider improvised the, you're going to need a bigger boat. Like that was the first time he saw the actual animatronic shark come out of the water. And he improvised probably one of the most iconic lines in movie history. So I I can go for hours talking about Jaws. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, so next one on my list, um, Poltergeist. 
Sure. Right. Again, time, that thing, there was so much in there. Again, there was this unknown, but it's like, you know, the guy where you like, when he, when, um, was it Craig T. Nelson? Was he the one who peeled his face off or whatever? Um, was that the first one or the second one? No, that was the first one. First one. Second one is where he drinks the, the tequila worm and it comes out of him. Yeah, ex- yeah, exactly. That was the second. I'm talking about the, in the first one. And there was so much in there, right? There was Carol Ann and Don't Go Into the Light and like all that stuff. And then building the house on the cemetery and the skeletons in the backyard, like that all like, and again, time of my life where that was like, holy crap. And it was supernatural, right? That was, that was, you know, that was something more freaky than a shark. There was some unknown there, like yep. what's in the light? What are these people doing? Um, there's dolls, like the, that first the, the, idea of, freaking doll scared the, the crap doll. out of you yeah the, and the clown, clown doll scared doll. the crap out of me yeah. terrified me yeah and you know speaking of like you know my propensity to want to scare people uh, neighbor up the street i'm gonna keep him anonymous but uh you know we, i was good friends with growing up i went into his room and he was sound asleep and uh he had a clown doll and we had just watched it like two days earlier and i like jammed that thing in his face to wake him up and i've never seen anybody that scared Mm -hmm. and in hindsight it was probably a pretty mean thing to do but it was also we got a good laugh out of it all right so my last two and i'm not sold on this next one but we're going to talk about it because it goes back to what we've we've been talking about actually these next two all kind of lumped together um one paranormal activity because of there's just a handful of scenes in that movie and the idea that it was like security cam footage and it was like there's something there but you can't see it like that just freaked me out like sure. there was a there was a part of it that i was just like this is terrifying it's going to give me nightmares because there's something there you don't know what it is and it was it, it again it's that unseen but kind of seen but there was no like you just didn't know what it was and yeah. the scene where they i think they put the baby powder down yeah and you see the footprints i got goosebumps and i was like that that's terrifying sure it, it was it was the the movie that kind of reinvigorated the found footage the the found footage horror movie like obviously it, it it's existed since the 70s and stuff like that but then really kind of took hold during blair witch and blair witch was around the time when um, the internet was still kind of new and no one really knew what it was yet. So the way they portrayed it as being, as being real was, was a smart marketing gimmick. But then when you start getting into, it got stale, like the, the whole gimmick got stale. So when paranormal activity came out and I remember going to see it in the theaters and hearing people scream and get up and leave and openly weep and stuff like that. And I hadn't seen a movie do that in a long time so i 100 percent agree i might not particularly care for the movie itself anymore because the the cultural zeitgeist that that followed it and the 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 rush of found footage features but yes steve the the footprints through the the baby powder the the slowly moving of the sheet when it grabs her legs and pulls her out of the bed oh god yes yeah i'm getting goosebumps now yeah yeah exactly and and that oh go ahead no, I like I, I'll agree with that. It was it is a it was revolutionary at the time and changed the way that found footage features could be done. And the problem was is that you were able to do it so cheap that so many came out very you know cookie cutter carbon copies of yep. the use of movies came out, which could be both a blessing and a curse. So yeah, I think Paranormal Activity probably has low rewatch value now. And and, and the top of my list, and you already touched on it, was Blair Witch because. I'd never seen anything like it. Right. It 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 felt so real because it was that found footage. It was a it was a camera. Uh, I think and 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 Maya was telling me about this. I didn't actually watch the documentary, but I think the guy who made that movie like they they held the actors out on some of the stuff that was going on. All of it, Steve. So to, what they did was I watched the the same document documentary Maya's talking about. So what they did was is that they gave the actors directions they've said okay you're going to walk to here today and then you're going to set up camp and then you're going to walk to here today and then you're going to set up camp and they really didn't have a script or anything like that so they were just kind of freewheeling it so what they did is they slowly started pulling back their meals and they slowly started like taking away you know what i mean like so the scene when they're in the the 
the tent in the middle of the night and they hear something outside and then all of a sudden the tent starts shaking and they go running out of it they didn't know that was going to happen that was the directors sneaking up to the tent and shaking the living hell out of it to scare them and that's why it worked because that fear that you hear on their voices is really the actors authentic yeah not having a clue what is going on at all like the the finding of the the satchel of teeth they didn't yep. know what that was going to be. They said, you're going to find something. And that's what it said in the script. So when they walked up and they find teeth, they're like, what the hell is going on? And then they come to the one clearing where it's all those little stick figures and stuff like that. They didn't know that's what was going to happen. Like They just were told to go to these certain places and react authentically, which made it feel real. And the, the combination of the the story of it being the real footage of the kids after they went missing and the, the website that set up like a like a true crime website about if you have information contact the sheriff's office here and stuff and you couldn't really decipher whether it was real or not obviously now in retrospect it was all fake but the internet was still relatively new at that point in time so you trusted most things that were put on it so <laughs> right right the, the viral marketing campaign was brilliant at the time so i agree and i saw that movie i was probably in when did that movie come out? I, I, I want to guess I was probably in my late 20s. Yeah, I was in college. Yeah, yeah so, all right, that, that was, again, seven-year difference. So, yeah, I'm late late 20s. And I remember, like, there were weeks, like, I would have nightmares. Like, it, like what the hell happened? What was going on there? What, like, it, it like, I haven't, I, I don't think I've seen a horror movie that had that effect in my life, which is why it's at the top of my list. And to me, just kind of put a bow on this, this whole, uh, this whole episode, you know, that idea for me personally, the idea of the unseen or the going into your mind, like those type of things are, uh, to me, are truly terrifying. But taking it back to, to Bird Box, I think, you know, with anything, but uh, in, in, in the way horror, the horror genre has evolved, like everybody has a different idea of what is scary. Sure. Right. For me, it's the unseen. For other people, like for you, it's clowns, <laughs> which again, I think, I think, but again, everybody's got their different idea. And I think that's part of the reason why that whole thing in Bird Box kind of worked. Um, or that, that idea is like everybody has an idea of something scary and, and terrifying. And sure. uh, so. And it also, with, with the invention of Bird Box, now gives you the perfect hear no evil, see no evil, speak no evil trifecta of Bird Box, A Quiet Place. And then there's a movie called Pontypool that if you speak these words, you go, you go crazy like you did in Bird Box. So that's a perfect triple feature that you can do next halloween <laughs> nice <laughs> all right well this has been this has been fun um uh, we've got some other stuff to do uh you know i think some future episodes we will again i like I like the idea of maybe covering the uh you know the transition from comedy to drama and, and sure. back and forth um so again this has been uh, Matchwits season six episode one again you can follow us on twitter at Matchwits. that's with two t's uh, or go to our website www.matchwits.com and uh, that'll do it. Thanks, brother. Yeah, brother. Yeah.